All right. Well, hello again. If you would, if you brought a Bible, open it. If not, we got a pew Bible in front of you there. We're going back into the book of Isaiah again. And page 599 is where we're headed. Today we return to the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah, God speaks. He says, I am the God who graciously called you to myself. I love you and I will bless you forever and ever. Now let me lead you and care for you. Let me fight your battles for you. Let me provide meaning and purpose and happiness in your life. But as we know, the people of God in Isaiah's day lived pridefully with God on the margins. They went through the religious motions, but their hearts were far from God. And we in the church can do that too. Outwardly looking as if we delight in God, but truly our hearts are out to serve our own little kingdoms. Christian, do you see this tendency in you? In the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, God speaks saying, if you would but return to me with wholeness of heart, I would pardon and prosper you. But if you persist to distrust me, those nations that are about to attack you, they will. Chapter 39 ends with everything fully unraveling for the people of God. They said no to God's help. And then King Hezekiah failed in an epic manner. But, but remember, God saved the day anyway. <laughs> remember the attacking king of Assyria, King Sennacherib. He, he's at the gates, but then he hears a rumor back in his nation. So he heads back to Assyria where he dies at the hand of his own son. But God's trials are not over for his people. The people's hearts, they remain far from God. So in Isaiah chapter 40 and onward, Isaiah prophesies over 100 years into the future. Another nation, Babylon, will attack and take God's people into captivity, into exile. And starting in chapter 40, God speaks to these future people who will be in captivity. And it's not the words you would expect. We would expect perhaps God to say, ha, you are getting what you deserve. Stray and you will pay. But God's word to his people in captivity then and his word to his people today is comfort. Comfort my people. The people of God needed to hear this word from God then and so to us today. Isaiah 40, verse 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. For the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? 
All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lamb, the lambs into his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word to us. It's very, very timely. We pray that you would remind us that you are the steady one. You are the one who stands. And your word towards us gives us not just comfort, but promises to hope in and to live out that we may herald your good news. We pray that your spirit would open these words into our lives today and transform us. May they work in upheaval of repentance and a delight in your goodness, we pray. Amen. I remember when I was a little boy, 1972. Yeah, I was six years old then. Do the math. And I had a horrible illness. Remember when you're a little kid and you just feel so bad? It's just like miserable, right? Had a sore throat and a cough and a headache. It lasted a long time. Now, I know it was 1972 because I was laying there miserably on the couch watching the Olympics. I was suffering so much, I just couldn't get comfortable. But my mom would regularly come and sit next to me on the couch. And she would take a cold washcloth and put it on my head. And she would speak words of comfort to me. And then she would promise me, it's all going to be okay. Let me ask you, do you have memories like this? It's sad, but we tend to outgrow the comforting voices of our parents. <laughs> we grow up and we move on, and there's other voices that ring inside our heads. We come to f- hear voices that say, find your comfort in your career, find your comfort in that Instagram-worthy life, find comfort in an identity that you can fashion. Good luck with that. And so... Comfort like that of our parents, it can never be experienced again. Or perhaps it can. God speaks through Isaiah this morning to a people experiencing a life of discomfort in the desert. And what does God say? He says, comfort, comfort, my people. Speak how? Speak tenderly to her. Let her know that all is well, for the Lord's hand of grace is upon her. What we need to recognize this morning is that God desires to speak to us, to comfort us with his tender care as we find ourselves perhaps in the wilderness of life. But we must listen to God's voice over and above all the other voices. Why? When we aren't listening 
to the voice of God, in the word of God, we will find other voices in our heads saying things like, you're not pretty enough, you're not smart enough, you're not liked enough, your life is meaningless, you're a failure, you're a victim, you will never make it. Like grass and the flowers of the field, your life is withering and fading. We experience this every day, right? And the older you get, the more it can haunt you. And some people go to the graves with this reality haunting them. Have you ever read that famous poem by Dylan Thomas, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night? In the poem, it's a voice of a man who lived all of life fighting to find meaning and purpose apart from God, and and now he's on his deathbed, full of anger and rage. Don't go gentle. you got to fight. Rage on. And the poem opens with the voice saying, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Thankfully, against that voice that says, rage, rage, God's voice cries out from heaven and says, comfort, comfort my people. God speaks and he has a word for his people who failed miserably. And it is not, I told you so. It's not clean up your act, and I might think of helping you. God comes to his people then, and he comes to us today, and he says, I know what you've done. I know the misery that you find yourself in. And I've come to do what you cannot. I have come to save you. So hear my voice and embrace my promises. I will be the faithful harbinger of your happiness. Believe in me, and my salvation and my strength are yours. And that's where we are now. In chapter 40, God begins to speak to his people in exile in Babylon. At the time of great turmoil and despair, God comes down to comfort us. But it isn't just his words that that comfort us. It's what his words promise God promises to display his glory in the world, and he promised to wrap us up in this glory. And this makes all the difference in the world. This morning we will see that the comforting voice of God fastens us to the promises of God. We'll see this under four headings, the context, the content, the competence, and the calling. See that? All C's. My seminary professors would be happy. First, the context. What is the context into which the voice of God graciously speaks? God's voice speaks into the battle-weary and broken lives of his people. The context for the nation of Israel is centuries of faithlessness and fruitlessness. Instead, the nation trusted not in in God or his promises. Instead, they listened to the voices inside their head, and it caused them to worry and to fret and to be anxious. And so the context is that the people of God are being disciplined. They are in exile in the wilderness of life. God is essentially letting his people experience the full logical conclusion of their desires to not live with God on the throne of their lives. 
Christian, listen. Lean in and listen. God will let you experience the dryness of life and the wilderness of life to cause you to begin to listen to his voice again. Perhaps you're here today and your life feels a bit like a dry desert. Isaiah is saying to you, not only does God know where you are, but he's ready to meet you there. That is who God is. Look at verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. You remember in last week's sermon uh, and how we, when we looked at the ending of 1 Peter and how the main point was that the same God who allows suffering to come into your life is the same God who calls you to run to him to find comfort and care. Remember that? Well, here we see it in Isaiah. Listen, God's deepest intention towards us isn't his discipline. It is his comfort. The focus of Christianity isn't our sin. If that were true, we would all be shut out. Christianity is about the saving grace of God. God sees, listen, God sees what we're up to. He sees how we honor him with our lips, but our hearts are often so cold towards him. And so he saves us by overruling our stupidity through his son, Jesus Christ. Do we sin? Yes, we do. Every day we fall short. Does God discipline us for our good? He better, and he does. Does God leave us in exile? No. Ray Ortland Jr., who I'm a bit indebted to this morning, he writes, when his discipline has done its good work, God comes back to us with overflowing comfort. See in God not a frown, but a smile, not distance, but nearness. Even when we don't act like the people of God, he still identifies with us. For he says, comfort my people, says your God. Christian, take comfort from the fact that no matter how far you stray into the wilderness, God's voice can and will come to you because you belong to him. He identifies with you so much that he sent his son to pardon you for all your iniquity, double for all your sin. So that is the context. God comes to his people in the midst of their failure with the word of comfort. Next is the content of his words. The content of God's words that is meant to comfort us. It's truly astounding. The voice doesn't cry, promise God's people small trifle things. God's promise to you in Christ Jesus isn't a lifetime supply of $5 off coupons to Golden Corral and one good sunset per week. No, Isaiah says that the content of God's promises are so great that if true, and they are, they change everything for us. For they alone have the power to still those anxious voices battling inside our heads. The content in Isaiah verses 3 to 5 tells us three things. <coughs> First, the king is coming. 
Isaiah hears a voice that says the king is coming. Verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Verse 3 shows us that the king is coming, but we're not yet prepared to receive him. Now, interesting, in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist goes out into the wilderness and he speaks to a large crowd and he actually quotes this very passage, verse 3 through 5. And at the end of it, the people in the crowd say, what are we then to do? And John's response was, get ready. The Messiah is coming. And so what this means for you and me is that we must do what needs to be done so that we're literally prepared to meet the Lord when he comes to us in the desert, in the wilderness of our lives. Tell me not, does this not involve faith, belief, a taking of God at his word? God promises to meet you where you are. So believe him when he says, come, come into my, and say, come into my life today, Lord. The second point of the content is that God will accomplish his purposes. We see this in verse 4. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground shall become level. The rough places of plain. What is he getting at? He isn't talking about literally leveling mountains and raising valleys. This is not topographical change. He is talking about an upheaval of true repentance in this world. This is a new moral topography, a new societal landscape. He is talking about how in his kingdom to come, there will be a lifting and a lowering, a leveling and a smoothing. And all this is necessary to the kingdom of Christ. He's talking about pride being leveled, about depression being lifted, and angry people becoming filled with love, and sorrowful souls being lifted, and anxieties being lowered. Listen, when Christ has full, full rule and reign over the landscape of human existence, there will be an upheaval of everything so that he may level the landscape for all eternity. And although this fullness of day is yet to come, guess what? God has begun this upheaval already in the lives of his people by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The upheaval of grace has begun. And so this has meaning for us today. Will we cling to the status quo and refuse the upheaval of God upon us? Or will we allow the voice of God to speak hope into the heads of God's children? The third point of the content is the promise that the glory of of the Lord Jesus will be revealed to the whole world one day. Verse 5. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God's promises are something astounding. The fullness, fullness of his glory will one day be unmistakable upon this earth. You know, today people insist that the whole universe in which we live, I mean, it just happened by chance, you know, that there is no creator to praise for the beautiful complexity of the atom or the perfect unity of the law of physics. This world is full of God's glory. 
but we tend not to give him glory. But Isaiah says that one day this will all change. What I hope we all see is that God has promised a day when his glory is revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For now, we must admit, God's glory is often hard for our, our eyes to see and our minds to appreciate. The Lord often comes veiled with his glory. For instance, like when the Son of God was born, he came into the world as a weak infant in a backwater place on earth. And even as a grown man, his glory was missed by many who saw him face to face. The crowds wanted a powerful, glorious king on a mighty horse to overthrow the Roman Empire. And the religious leaders, they thought he was of the devil, right? But then, there he was, the Son of God, in upside-down, surprising glory, on a cross, bleeding and dying for our sins in glory. God revealed his glory first in the coming of his son as he died and he rose for our sins. And those with eyes of faith right now, you are able to see that, are you not? But there will be a day when Christ will return, and this time there will be no doubt. Are you prepared for that day? Isaiah is helping us to hear God's voice so we know just what we are to do. And our part is simply to have the courage to welcome Christ today, to allow God to bring this upheaval into our lives now, to cause us to repent of our offensive trivializing of God and to welcome him with a bold restructuring of our lives. So we looked at the context and the content. Now for the confidence. Beginning in verse 6, Isaiah hears another voice crying out. And what does this voice say to us? It is saying that God alone is our ultimate and final trust. So therefore place your confidence in him alone. Verse 6, a voice says, cry. And I, Isaiah, said, what shall I cry? And the answer is, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of a field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The voice from heaven instructs Isaiah to tell us that people are somehow like grass and flowers. <laughs> How so? Well, on the one hand, if you've ever gazed upon a tall field of grass as the wind blows through it, you've seen the power, the beauty, the strength of grass. Similarly, flowers. Flowers are beautiful to behold. And a bundle of them will cause the ladies to sing your praises on prom night. Well, so too, like grass and flowers, people are able to live with great beauty and purpose. But eventually the grass withers, the flowers fade and fall to the ground. So to us, we have temporal limits. But listen, Isaiah means something more profound by these words than simply we live and we die. We're temporal. He is not merely saying that we humans are temporal and God is eternal. Now, he's saying something that kind of hits us as strange, but deep down we know it's true. 
He is saying that we are unreliable and we're fallible. But God, God is reliable and infallible. Think about it. Even our good intentions when we have them are inconsistent, like the flower of the field. We only blossom under ideal conditions. And so, look, this is what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about what you can and cannot do. It's about what God promises to do for us and through us. At its heart level, Christianity is about what? Assurance. Assurance that God will stand forever. And so he alone qualifies as our final trust. God alone gives us confidence to live with meaning and purpose, with gladness and joy. And so are you able to grasp this truth? That no matter how hard you strive, no matter how noble your intentions, your efforts are unreliable. And so do you welcome with joy the fact that God and his word stand forever? And have you placed your confidence in him alone? So we looked at the context, the content, and the confidence. Lastly, let's look at our calling. We have a calling to spread the wonderful news, the good news of the gospel. Last week, I was going through a social media thread, and one of my friends posed this question. Is The Bear one of the best TV shows out there right now, and why is your answer yes? You should have read these responses, like glowing, like, oh my gosh, so amazing, best show ever. People couldn't, couldn't withhold their praises for the goodness of this show. I don't even know what it is. The Bear sounds kind of scary, right? Like bears? Like, no? All right, correct me later. I hear it's on Hulu. I don't have that. So anyway, I, get, I do get 10% for everybody who signs up today. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Like, we take great delight in telling others about things we've come to delight in, right? It just flows naturally from us. Some novel or a movie or whiskey or a restaurant or ballet. You get the point. Isaiah is telling us not only that we get to have the beautiful voice of God comforting us and filling us with amazing hope, but we get to spread this good news to others. And it should flow from us just like saying, I had a wonderful meal last night at Tuto Il Gorno. I can't even pronounce the place. The one in Southampton, not Sag Harbor. Southampton's better. Another 10%. But you know, it's... Our praise for God and his goodness should just flow like that, right? Verse 9 through 11. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. That's, that's the name for God's people. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. It's the same thing, Zion, Jerusalem. This is parallel poetic language. Herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. Glad he threw that one in there. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. 
Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Amazing. God calls all of us who cherish this hope to spread our enthusiasm for God's coming glory. Verse 9 says, go find someplace high, really, really high. Turn the volume all the way up to 11. Don't be afraid. Point people to God. Speak of his goodness and their absolute need of him. And guess what happens when you do that? Same thing that happened to you, perhaps. You come to believe. God comes to these people that you share this good news with. He comes with a smile on his face and a wink in his eye, and he says, just watch me. I've got this. The Lord gets up close and personal to those to whom you spread the good news. Do you believe that? We must. It's his promise. Listen, Christian, God calls us to love our neighbors in the wilderness of life and to go to them so that they may hear his words of comfort. Tell them how that when God is close to you, his happiness becomes yours. Tell them that only the tender words of God can quiet those anxious voices that constantly agitate you. Tell them that we're all needy like sheep, but thankfully God pardons our sin and he gathers us into his arms. That is what verses 10 and 11 say. The Lord comes. He comes to us. And how does he come? First, he comes as a conquering king. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for them. He comes as a wealthy benefactor. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And lastly, he comes as a tender shepherd. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Parents with young kids, do you not need the Lord to comfort you. You've got young ones, and you can be full of anxiety, worrying about every little thing in their lives. Jesus pledges to shepherd you, even those who have young ones and worries. God's people in Isaiah's day, in the wilderness, in the desert of exile in Babylon, and God's people today, in the wilderness, in exile of this broken world, we must hear God's voice speaking to us when he says, I am the God who makes a way down to you, right where you are. I'm the God of all comfort. Prepare the way. I'm coming for you, to you. Let me bring a joyful upheaval to your seriously lacking self-satisfying life. Glory is coming down. Get ready. God has promised it, and his words stand. So let us trust God with every fiber of our being. Let us find our great happiness in his triumph of grace. 
Let us delight in his words. And let us herald from the mountaintops, behold your God. In a moment, we're going to come forward, as we do every week, to this table to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It is a meal that is meant to remind us that God comes to us in the wilderness of our sin and misery, and he comforts us. This meal speaks to us. It says that though you're like grass, like the flowers of the field, which wither and fade and fall, God stands forever. He alone is infallible and true. And that this table is a table of grace for you. God meets you here and now, right where you are. Take a moment to look at this table before you. Did did you notice the flowers? Look at those. Look at how faded and falling and wilting they are. That's on purpose. (laughs) I put them there earlier, and someone saw them and threw them out. I'm like, no! (laughs) There's a reason. (laughs) They're supposed to be dry and wilted and fading. As you come forward, may they remind you of your frailty and your unreliability to live the life that you know you should live for God's glory. But right there next to those wilted flowers is the sign of his grace for you. He knows you. He knows you're unreliable. He knows that. That's why his grace is so good to us. These flowers are meant to point you to Christ. Christ is the only one who lived a reliable life on earth. He also died for you, but he rose again in victory to give you newness of life. And so this meal means that your warfare is ended. Your iniquity is pardoned. You've received from the Lord's hand double grace for all your sins. And so rejoice as you come forward. God delights to call you his own. May this meal speak tenderly to you, words of comfort, and may we depart as heralds of this good news. Let's pray. Father, we do not like to admit it. We like to think we're valiant and strong, always succeeding, never failing, that our good intentions always are met with good outcomes. We confess We are failures through and through apart from Christ. We're thankful that you see us in this wilderness, in this desert of life here on earth. We're thankful that your voice speaks to us, words of comfort to give us courage and confidence. May we walk in this truth today. In the name of Jesus, amen.